Welcome to the Business Life of Husband and Wife podcast. A show based on real experiences in business and life. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, episode 110 today of the Business Life Husband and Wife podcast. Uh, that's kind of a milestone number, so we're kind of excited. And this is our first couples episode of, of season, season three. three. Yeah. So as you guys know, we have four formats of our show. We have our couples episodes, which we're doing today. We do the ins and outs, all the bouts, kind of find out what everybody does differently than us and uh, try to learn from one another. And hopefully you guys can take some away from that. And then. Um, and then we have our second format of our of our show. We have uh, expert guest episodes. So you guys heard in season one where, where we uh, introduced uh, some lawyers, accountants, that type of thing, and discussed all of the essential background components of uh, what business entails. So then in the second season, we went a little bit more niche specific into the, each of these topics. And then we're also doing that again in season three. Um, and then the third format of the show that we have is our Q&A episodes. This is where you guys can submit your questions in the top right hand uh, corner of our website, which is businesslifeofhusbandandwife.ca. Or you guys can shoot us uh, a DM through Instagram, Facebook as well through Pigeon Tree Productions. And then lastly, guys, we have our foundation hour. Those are Initially, we started for our second book. Those are the first 10 chapters of our second book in season two. Rob and I have kind of dived into more niche topics that we're kind of interested in in the foundation hour. That was a couple of the last episodes you guys will kind of go back in early of season three. We did a cost accounting episode and we just did like what it's like to be a business couple in business. Um, we did episode. the pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, the pros and cons. <laughs> but today, guys, we have our couples episode. Uh, we got an awesome couple that we actually met down in Nashville at Old Red at an Arate event. And uh, they're going to kind of come on and teach us a little bit. We're going to talk about like getting out of debt and finance. Um, we're going to have a bit of a niche topic for a couples episode. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves because as you guys know, sometimes I'm linguistically challenged, even though their names are super simple. <laughs> I can pronunciate them and enunciate properly for you, but they're going to do it. They know better about themselves than I can ever introduce. So without further ado, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having us. Uh, my name is Nate. Bethany. Bethany. Uh, some of the, some people know us as the cash flow couple, but I'm super excited to be with you guys. Thank you for the opportunity to come on and share. Um, been married for 14 years. Um, moved. I don't know how many times we moved in 14 years. 10 times. 10 times in 14 years. Yep. Uh, that probably gives a hit to my background. I was in the military. Uh, so moved a lot, along a lot with that. And uh, one of our goals since we were married from the very beginning was we liked doing life and business together. And so we've always had a side hustle, always had something we were doing together. When we first got married, someone gifted us a riding lawnmower. So we started mowing lawns for people together and making extra money because uh, when you're young in the military, they don't pay, the pay's not very great. Um, so we just started, we've always had things we had going on. We've been involved in real estate. We've been involved in um, all kinds of different things. And and now where we kind of settled and plant our flag is is really working kind of in the, in the financial industry and, and teaching people how money works. And because we have a pretty powerful story, I think, of how you know, we didn't learn any of that stuff growing up and uh, figuring it all out and, and now helping others do the same thing. So that's kind of the, the short summary. You can dive down any rabbit trail you guys want to go down. Well, let's let's start right at the beginning. Let's start with you guys. How'd you guys meet? It's a couple's episode. And we'll kind of go with that story first. Perfect. You want to tell a story? Cool. So we met in high school youth group at church, actually. I think we were 15. 
And um, so, yeah. I liked her. She didn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that always the way in high school? (laughs) I had to follow up until 21 before she decided she would actually date me. Uh, We would keep it in touch. So my dad, my dad was also in the military. So we moved a lot growing up as well. So we met at one of the places in Idaho, which is one of the places we were stationed. And then we moved away. We just kind of step in touch. We were pretty good friends. We would talk a lot, but never anything beyond that type of level. And so um, I just would pop in every now and then as, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Um, come out to Boise to see my fr- other friends. Not really. Um, just to kind of, you know, let her know I'm still around. And long story short, you know, I follow persistently paid off and mm-hmm. we got married when we were 22. And uh I would say one thing kind of unique about our dynamic was we, like you said, we were friends first and got to know each other pretty well on a friend's basis. Um, He moved away or joined the service at 19. Um, I dated, we both dated a couple people in the interim when we kind of lost touch for a year or two. Um, And I really, I remember having the realization, like, I want to make a list of non-negotiables that I'm looking for in my life partner. And so, you know, nothing real superficial, like must be this exact height and have, you know, blue eyes or things like that. But just like character wise, you know, does he tweet, does he treat women well? Um, Does he, you know, is he um, faith based? And so just kind of making a bunch of non-negotiables for myself so that it kind of activates that reticular activating system and like, who am I looking for? So when I come across them, I can recognize it. And I kept thinking of him. You know, whenever I kind of would go over this list, I'm like, you know, he met all the non-negotiables. He was just very skinny at the time and (laughs) a little socially awkward and there just wasn't much of a spark there. But then when we reconnected, I was like, okay, like the foundation for us was very well laid. I would say that we already knew each other very well. We knew a lot about our character. We knew each other's families and stuff. And so um, that was just kind of a cool way that it kind of all came together. And then he filled out. He joined the military and filled out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But even when we and even when we officially started like officially dating, um, when we like agreed to that, you know, that next step was a month before I was uh, set to deploy to Afghanistan. So for six months when we were dating like seriously, mm-hmm. uh, that was just over Skype because Zoom didn't exist at the time. It's a while ago. Um, so we just, you know, with Skype date is basically what we did for six months. And then we got engaged a few months after I got back and then got married a few months after that. So mm-hmm. her family thought it went really fast. I'm like, this has been like six years in the making. <laughs> I don't know what, well, what is fast about this. But uh, And then uh, when you guys. Tests. Oh, we went yeah. through a series of tests. I, I went through them a little bit differently, but yeah, there's a series of tests. Like I think all women have for who they're going to marry. It's, meet the dad. And there's always those little things, you know what I mean? And now you've already probably did that one, but Robin, she, she got me good. She dropped me off at her parents' place the second time I've ever met them and said, Hey, you're building a deck today. And she left with her mom, just abandoned me. That was my test. <laughs> nice. And her dad's there with the saw. I was like, what are your intentions? <laughs> 100%. You fared well. <laughs> Must have passed. You're like, oh, I got this. <laughs> oh, dear. I did. I did pass that test. But so that's pretty like I was that's pretty young for you to like start making a list in your head, like a checklist already of like these are like my non-negotiables, because a lot of people don't go through that process that young. Like they don't develop that and they probably don't even have the awareness at 
like you were what when you when did you start making this list 21 or like were you already like 19 you're like no <laughs> I was uh I was going to Bible school in the Oregon coast so I want to say I was 19 or 20 because I think we got officially kind of reconnected started dating at 21 and then married at 22 so yeah 19 20 and I think a good good thing to caveat why you know we were probably thinking that way so young so we grew up in in the church you know in a Christian church and we grew up in a very traditional Christian church where have you ever heard the book like I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Yeah, we had to read those types of books growing up. So it was pretty much ingrained to us that you don't date, you marry. Um, so that was always that was kind of like how I was raised. And so when I found her, I was like, oh, I found her. So um, wasn't you know? So I think it got us thinking about that a lot sooner than than it might you might get in kind of what society is today, uh, where people don't even think about that till well into their twenties or thirties, but. I wish more people did. I was just thinking about this, you know, Valentine's Day is approaching and people always get kind of like, oh, woe is me. You know, I'm single again on Valentine's Day. And I just wish more people would be intentional about like, who am I looking for? What character do they have? Where do they hang out? And then you kind of build a list of like, now, now I know who I'm looking for. Now, where are they? (laughs) And little did we know that that skill set would pay off so well in business because that's how we build our business is by building an avatar of exactly what we want. And it's amazing how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is amazing how those things translate, but like I said, such a, such a young age to do that. Um, Cause I have like a different, a little bit different story. Like I grew up in a house where ranching background, I watched my parents work. They, they were high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. I watched them work together my entire life. That was just, just yeah. how it is. Right. There's always like that co-working and that's what we're kind of going to, I'm going to kind of navigate into that now is that co-working where you each have your strengths and weaknesses and, and mom had her thing that she did and dad had her thing or his thing. And they kind of just made that work for, for well, they still work together. They're 64 this year and they're still working together. So how do you guys kind of go about that? And how did that kind of like from 22 when you got married and then now to now, what are some of the steps and progressions you guys have seen? And you're like, oh, I'm learning. Like, what are some of the things you learned along the way about each other and like how to navigate, you know, whose strengths, whose weaknesses, you know, not fight as much. Those little like we were talking about this episode last episode or a couple episodes ago about arguing over like the dishes because you're both tired and you just haven't like separated, you know, and put in your head that this is what we need to do. And this person needs me to do this today and they need a break or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I so, think. Early on, the first, the, the big thing we had to figure out was getting alignment in a common vision. Mm-hmm. And I think this this really applies whether you're a business couple or just you know, a couple in general, is having a common vision for what the life you want to create. Um, and that's that was probably the, that was the biggest thing we had to work through is figuring out that because we definitely had very different outlooks on life. And as far as like what, what were, obviously, we had some things were aligned. We got married and we had, a, you know, we had that a lot of it's there, but there were some other things externally that she valued higher than I valued and things that I valued a lot higher than she valued. And so there's a lot of conversations about, you know, what kind of life do we want to create? What options do we want to have? And then figure out what's, what's the avenue to create that. Um, but for us, it was just figuring out what's that alignment. And I just throw it out there, you know, with, well, we get this question a lot and whether you're in business together or not, Having that common vision is so key. We have a lot of couples in our business where one spouse will be the the real business driver, but 
And the other spouse is a very supportive spouse because they have alignment and common vision, knowing that this vehicle is what's going to create the quality of lifestyle, what we want for our family. But there may not be both exactly doing the same thing together, but they create a common vision. So they support each other. So they fill in the gaps, like, for example, who does the dishes? And, you know, is one person going to be working a little bit later? This, you know, this because we're building this common vision, you know, making those sacrifices to be able to create that. Um, but yeah, that, that was the biggest thing we were to work through. We probably worked through that for the first I mean, probably six years we were married. We never really fought about it. Like we didn't have like this huge like disconnect, but just I was more like money motivated, more, you know, I want to I want to build this big life and and create create, you know, wealth and that sort of thing. And she could care less about the money. Um well she does now because I we had a we had the conversation, a lot of conversations. Because you have to have uh, mon- money freedom to have true time freedom. Because yeah. in her mind, money was, you know, fancy cars and fancy houses and those types of things. And then once you had the conversation, we realized, well, actually money is also, you know, being able to strike a check for $25,000 because, you know, a family member needs a, has a medical bill to cover or something like that. Um, be able to help fill those roles too. Yeah. And so just kind of getting that common alignment of, of why we want to build wealth um, was huge. What year did we live in Arkansas? Um, how year, How many years in was that? Halfway. Okay. So like first in our married life, you know, a lot of times it's like, the one spouse that has the ma- main career, the other one is kind of supporting maybe, especially like he was in um, aviation, military aviation. And it was a long road from him to go for him to go from enlisted military to a military pilot. Like we moved a bunch during those years in a lot of different weird areas, um, a lot of long hours at school. Like I was just trying to make money doing something on the side, which was challenging as a mill spouse before the work at home era, because it was uh, hard to find companies that had remote work options. Um, but like with all the moving and everything, I was trying to fill in the gaps. Like how can I make supplementary income doing something? So I did a lot of online tutoring and, um, started a personal training business, just trying to like fill in gaps just to bring in the money. And then it was, you know, probably, yeah, like year seven into being married that we really had a very intentional conversation around like, what is our actual vision for our, for our relationship and for our family? And what does that look like 10, 20 years down the, down the road where we're not just like working to make a buck, we're actually fulfilling a vision that we see. So we had that intentional conversation, you know, several years in, which helped bring a lot of clarity around like, well, we don't want to just work for money. You know, it's got to be like fulfilling and feel like we have a bigger impact. That was really important to me to have contribution goals and things. And so I just remember that conversation very clearly, like seven years in, like, what do we actually, he would ask me the very pointed question. If you, he was trying to win me over to the entrepreneurial space full time. And he's like, if you didn't have to work you know, what would your perfect day look like if you didn't have to work for money? And at first I was a little, but defensive. you still had all the money that you needed to support. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to do. yeah. Um, and, and at first I was a little defensive about it. Like, Oh, I don't want to even think about that. Like I have to work a job. Like, let's be real. You know, we had a lot of debt and stuff. And he's like, no, if you didn't. So he was just trying to open up, you know, my mindset a little bit. And, um, the more we talked through it and talked about it and just dreamed and turned the dream machine back on, you know, And we're like, ah, we really want to, you know, achieve this. We want to do this. We want to be able to help take care of these people in our lives and stuff like that. So, and reason that conversation really came at year seven was when we first got married, my childhood dream was to be a pilot in the Air Force. And so I was 100% committed to that becoming a reality. And the only thing that was not going to make that a reality was either I became, I I aged out where I was too old to go or medically was going to be disqualified. And 
I was pretty, we were pretty, we had a very clear conversation about that when we got married that like, this is the goal until that's done. I'm not really de- deviating from that goal. Now in that process, cause it was a longer process for me to get to the pilot, to get to pilot training. We would do things on the side because we'd get bored. We had these gaps in, you know, training and gaps, like we need to fill in the gaps. So, you know, we went to rich dad, poor dad seminars and we would go to these different th- things and started plugging in different, you know, ideas and started planting seeds. And, um, but what I realized as I became a pilot, the lifestyle of a pilot professionally as a career isn't that great. Um, you're gone a lot. You travel a lot. Sucks. A lot of my buddies who were active duty in the military, they were gone all the time. And so I was fortunate to discover an ability to go still fly in the military, but do it part-time in the reserves. And so with that, with that change, it's not a full-time gig anymore. It's not a, it's not a consistent income anymore. And so that was about the time we had that conversation. Okay. We know I don't want to go down a professional career path full-time business and entrepreneurship is what's going to create the life we want. And that's when we had that real conversation about, okay, what do we want to create? What is the life we want to have? What options we want to create? And then through that process, we had to find the vehicle to make it happen. But that was kind of our process and how we got to where we are now. Do you guys think that that takes a little bit longer in a marriage to come to that where you can have those conversations? Like I know, like it'll it probably took Robin and I, I would say at least five years before we started having those really intentional. And it probably was just more or less because we both had our own businesses, kind of merged this business into all into one and took off and are doing it together. And we were just like trying to make money because we were broke, like raiding my parents' freezer for grub kind of broke. Like we'd go steal yeah. stuff out of there just so we could like meal prep for the week. So we had some food. Um, so do you guys think that like it takes a little bit longer? You have to almost hit that point where you're like, I, I got nothing to lose or I just don't enjoy what I'm doing now. We have to. And it's almost like there's that middle transition point where it's like, this is when these conversations start or is there just I feel like it just takes a little bit longer because you're always in the honeymoon phase for quite a feels like yeah. a few years. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I, would, I, I definitely think it takes time to get to that point of the conversation, especially if you aren't already like in that building mode or that. You know, you're already an entrepreneur, uh, which we weren't entrepreneurs when we got married. That that kind of developed over time. Um, but I think, I don't know. What what do you think? Yeah, Sorry, I think year five was actually a pivotal moment yeah. for me because I was like, we've been, we've kind of made it through the, <laughs> yeah. the early years where you see a lot of marriage casualties. Honestly, you know, we've had a lot of friends that have gotten divorced between two year two and two year five. And so it's like, okay, now it's pretty tried and true. Like we're going to make it. And then, um, and then I remember having, you know, thoughts of just like, is this kind of all there is in terms of career? Like we just go to work separate paths. We make our money. We come back, come together at the end of the day, have dinner together, you know, we don't have kids, but if you have kids, like you talk, talk about the kids and we ne- we started to have the realization we don't want to have the lifestyle where we're ships passing in the night. You know, we want to have something like at that time where we were having this conversation again, probably about seven years in, I was working full time in real estate sales and he was doing the full time pilot training route, very different schedules um, and just talking a lot about like, what do we want our collective lifestyle to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and so. And one thing that really helped us the most is we had a really good friendship prior to marriage. And so we came into the marriage with like, as really good friends. And so there was that baseline. And I think, you know, for us, um, 
we just knew we liked each other. Like there was, that was all, we always had the, we always felt like overall, we always generally had our, each other's best interests in mind. And we trusted that we always had it. You know, even if we did, one person did something that was slightly offensive or slightly like, you know, oh, that had a hit. We understood that we both had the best intentions. And so we've been pretty, we've been fortunate to be able to work through those things um, early on. And I think we had a couple, we just had, you know, I was pretty fortunate. We had some positive examples that we had to, to look at and observe. Um, as Ed Milet says, things are caught, not taught. I think we were able to catch a lot of things from, from mentors. We've always been very intentional about going to church and putting ourselves around key people, even if we didn't feel like it. I mean, we were, I mean, for example, we joined Amway early on in our life. Didn't make any money doing it, but we would drive an hour one way just to go to the meetings because it was a positive environment with positive people doing po positive things. And um, so we've always been intentional about, we understood the importance of environment and really putting ourselves around good people. Um, I think that was something that really helped facilitate, you know, not a lot of fighting and just kind of working through things um, and, you know, not not butting heads all the time, but just working through it together as, you know, as a couple, you know, line on like, hey, we love each other. We care about each other. We want the best for each other and not just like butting heads trying to figure it out. Hey guys, if you're listening to this, you guys know that we don't run ads on this show anymore. And what we do is provide this whole complete show for free for you guys. We do have a couple things though that we would like to ask of you. And that would be, if you get a chance to subscribe to our premium content episodes, those are little small topics that we cover individually. That is $3 a month. And as well, we have our book out, Shameless Plug, Business Life of Husband and Wife. You guys can jump on Amazon and find that. And we'd be very grateful for reviews left for that book. Thanks, guys. And I think that's that was the key that for, for most couples we've had on the show is that once you get that alignment, once you actually have that alignment where you had that conversation. So from that moment, that seven-year kind of when you guys transitioned, because it was a pretty big transition from you know working two separate to now you guys – are going to go was that kind of about year seven year eight when you guys kind of decided to go we're going to do this as like start to do yeah. the couple thing and move towards that yeah year seven was when we decided that's where we wanted to get to and then we're, we started making intentional moves toward that um i knew at that point i still had about a year and a half two years where i was going to be pretty active flying for the military just finished up training and getting acclimated to my new squadron and things like that but we knew that there was gonna there was a defined moment where the full-time income from that was going to go away. And we did not want to pursue to way to continue to have that income because the lifestyle wasn't what we wanted. And so, yeah, we started looking, um, our initial, you know, our initial venture was, we thought was going to be real, real estate. Uh, we got into multifamily investing and things like that and had a pretty good run for a couple of years. The biggest challenge we faced in that venture was, um, we we're building a lot of equity, but we weren't getting a lot of cash flow. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a money-making business. It was, and I think a lot of people get misunderstood of what real estate investing is really about. It's investing. Uh, it's not a business per se. And so, um, and we didn't really fall in love with the business operational side of like finding deals, managing deals, all of that side of things. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we kind of pivoted and said, okay, did, we tried it. We know we like investing in real estate, but this isn't the business model business system for us. Mm -hmm. And so we started looking for other opportunities and yeah. um, ended up finding, you know, what we do now in the financial industry. And the large reason why we found that was through Ed because we we're part of right. his company and yeah. been following him for a long time. And, and I was like, going to say, we went around this time, we were having this conversation about like, what's our collective vision and getting aligned and all that kind of stuff. I, I really fought 
um, Nate having the entrepreneurial conversation with me again, because we'd had a lot of things that we'd tried to do and they didn't work, honestly. Um, he mentioned Amway. We did the lawn mowing. I had a personal training business. He had a digital marketing company for a little while. I did freelance tutoring. Like we had real estate investments that were like, you know, short-term rentals. And so we tried, we were trying a lot of different things and just couldn't really find our groove in any one thing. And um, he would try to get me to listen to like a Grant Cardone or, you know, I forget some others that he'd have me listen to. And I was just like, no, I, I want to stay focused on a job. Like I want to stay focused on a stable income and a job and a stable situation. Um, and then I hurt my uh, back in the gym one day and I had to lay there flat and listen to um, GrowthCon 2. Yeah, it was Grant Cardone. Yeah, Grant Cardone hosts an event called, called GrowthCon. And Ed Milet spoke. And it was the first time I heard him speak. And um, I was like, I like that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could resonate with this guy's line of thought and everything he's talking about entrepreneurship. I see I kind of captured, you know, some of that like ultimate vision, which is so cool to kind of come full circle and and have the opportunity to have worked with Ed in a way. But at that time, I was like, OK, I can get behind that idea. And then so that led us to looking into, well, what business are we going to do together? And so the, you know, real estate investments that he, that he mentioned too. But even with that, you know, in addition to everything he mentioned about the model challenges in and of itself, ultimately we determined we want a cash flow generating business that we can leverage into real estate and real estate also, yes, he supported me in it. And I supported him at the time he was doing the guard thing and also had a digital marketing business, but we didn't have one business together that we could work fully together, that we could each exercise our unique strengths and complement our weaknesses in. And so we were still searching and looking for something that we could do together. So. And that kind of has to take an injury. We just had this conversation, like literally like at the beginning of the, well, Robin's going to laugh because she slipped a disc on the 23rd of December. So I kind of like, oh. I had to like all of a sudden decide she couldn't do like anything, right? Like she's done for three, maybe four up to six weeks. She's still fin finishing up physio, but it's been a month. Mm -hmm. All those things were like a huge transition for us again to be like, okay, how is the business operating? Is the team being able to like bring in the cash flow every month? So the business that one that we have, the other ones that we're launching and this podcast and the book that we have and the other book coming out, what can she do sitting or laying down? <laughs> you know what I mean? What can like, I do in a side position? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's that, that transition that, that, that mode where you're like, it's a click and it's almost like, I like to use the word the universe or God. They just, it comes to you and it's like, Hey, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. And you're, it's mm -hmm. what, that was that moment for you laying there being like, I just tweaked my back. I can't move. I guess I'm <laughs> stuck here. I guess this is what I'm listening to. And it's just, it hits you. Right. So mm -hmm. from, from that moment, you guys have kind of gone into the financial. I, this is what we're going to dive into the rest of the episode. Cause we're kind of halfway through already. Um, dive into the, the, the financial side, the cash flow, trying to understand and educate people. So Kiyosaki's big on it. You guys mm -hmm. said you went to a couple of his, he's big on other things as well on, on, you know, metals. And I've got some silver of my own <laughs> um, because of him, because of him. Yeah. So let's just talk cash flow to start. I want you guys to kind of why, why push for cash flowing businesses and to understand what cash flow is. Let's just kind of define it and then why people need to understand the essence of it and why it's so important. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, cash flow, cash flow pays the bills. Cash flow is lifestyle. Um, and I think that's the where everybody has to start at. I love Grant Cardone talks about, you know, you can only manage to zero. It's a finite, you know, you can only go down to 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 a foundation and that can't go any further. But on the upside, the income, the cash flow, there's an infinite, it's infinite. You know, it's all about what you can create. And so that's why I believe if you can solve your cash flow problem with good money management skills and and you understand that you know they have some good systems in there you can scale your company you can solve all your financial problems so a big part of what we do now is you know working on the habits cuz habits is the most important thing there's a book called the the psychology of money probably the most valuable book most you know people can read because most of the challenges that we face financially that people face is one they were never taught about money growing up it's just not taught in society it's not taught in school systems Unless you grew up in a wealthy family that actually taught you, you probably didn't learn about it. So, um, if you don't have, you don't build those skill sets to on how to save, how to invest, how to protect, how to grow, and how to get money, um, you end up. If you don't have those good habits, you can make more money. You're still broke. I, I've I've sat down with people who make a lot of money. They're just as broke as people who make a little bit of money. Um, they just have nicer houses. So, just having that understanding of of how money works is so important, but yeah, cash flow is what fuels everything. So, you know, how it's how you pay the bills. It's how you pay lifestyle. It's how you travel. It's how you take care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's like the baseline that I think a lot of times people try to focus on managing things that don't exist, mm-hmm. like create something to manage. Yeah. One thing we do in our, in our business is we go through a free financial needs analysis with our, with anybody, with our clients and we walk through, you know, how to manage your money better, how to get your expenses down a little bit over here, how to move some money around, how to minimize your your debt pay, pay payment over here. But at the end of the day, cereal costs $9 a box now and gas is over $5 a gallon in California. And the average American family must make about $400 a month extra just to help with rising costs of inflation and stuff. And so then it's like, all right, now we have a cash flow conversation. So let's talk about how you can increase your cash flow. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're really, you know, passionate about it as well. Did you guys start those conversations? Like, is it a lot of people come to you that are in like debt that want to figure out how to generate that cash flow or their things are tight? Is that kind of where it starts or is it a wide range? It's wide range. We, we don't really have a pre-qualification requirement for our clients to see anything about our, our platform and company. A lot of financial companies will work with only people who have a certain amount of debt or a certain amount of assets or have a certain amount of income. Um, we sit down with clients from all ranges. I've sat down with clients that were like us, six figures in debt and can barely keep their head above water. I've, to, I've sat down with clients with you know tons of assets and they're just looking for like ways to protect and mitigate tax you know, strategies and stuff like that. So we work with a wide range of clients. Everybody's situation is unique and different. I kind of, I like to look at this as like, um, like personal trainers for finance. You know, like if you go get a personal trainer, they're going to want to find out what, what's your objective, what are you trying to accomplish? What are the needs? And then putting together, what's the meal plan? What's the workout regimen? And not just putting out the one that's going to get the result, but the one that you're actually going to do as well. Because you can have the, here's the perfect regimen to get you where you want to go. But like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So you got to custom, you got to create a plan that it's actually workable. And, you know, sometimes it's micro habits to build a bigger habits and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, with us and, you know, with the individual people we work with, it's always customizable to their situation and which brings a whole nother level of, you know, human dynamic and understanding that you have to have when you're helping people. 
Yeah. And that's something I found too. I, I always say when kids ask me or people ask me if they want like about school, right? What classes should I take? And when they go to university or I'm always saying for business, if you could take more sociology and psychology classes, you just do it mm-hmm. because they don't, those aren't like the, like the prereq courses to get into a business school or they're not important for business. They want you to know how to, you know, do derivatives markets and oh here, go take the derivatives course in finance. Cause you give a finance degree, but there's no, basis for studying the market from a sociological mm-hmm. <clears throat> from sociology or psychological perspective. And so mm-hmm. I always tell the kids, just try and take a one like entry levels of those. I think that's super important for everybody listening that, and then you guys are saying the same thing. You, you're running a business based on money, but most of it's up between the ears. <laughs> Anytime you're in a service-based business, especially yeah. where you're very client facing, like your ability to, to read humans and the real the ability to understand them, which I mean, it's, we're definitely a work in progress in understanding all of this. A lot of it, Ed Milet's had a huge influence because he's a master at understanding humans and how to connect with them and how to, and so that's it's been a good example and, you know, had a lot of resources to that. But that I think is the most important part in the service-based business because you're trying to change people's habits at the end of the day. They're coming to you in a bad situation. It's because bad habits got them there. And so it's, you know, you, it's what you know, is a lot more to it than just saying here, save this much money in this vehicle. Um, yeah. So. A lot of it goes into like identity, like yeah. how they view themselves because picking apart their finances is almost like deconstructing their lifestyle and what they value as important. Yeah. Cause if they're spending crap ton of money on, you know, um, addictive stuff, you know, and a bunch of TV subscriptions and a bunch of, you know, I don't know, just a lot of kind of wasted, fluff. you know, money fluff type stuff, or, you know, it just comes down to, to like, I, I attribute value to this and that's how I find value for myself. So that's what I focus on. And then, you know, we've done, we've done these processes and people will be in tears at times, like, I don't know why I'm this way, you know, stuff like that. And so it's a very, uh, it's almost like a therapeutic exercise. <laughs> like, well, and then that, that kind of takes us back a little bit to to the debt side. You guys said you guys were six figures in debt, and like teaching people and educating them that how to get out of those bad habits. So, what are some of the things that you guys would recommend for people listening that do have some debt accumulation built up, and they're trying to figure out a way to get out of a bad situation that they've built up? And like, what are some things that you guys did, and then what are some of the things that you guys kind of teach people as you go through that process? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first question is, why are you in debt? Um, I think it's an important question because there's a lot of different reasons how you can get into six figures in debt. Um, it could be student loans. It could be just bad habits and spending habits on consumerism. Uh, probably half of our debt was paying for coaching and programs and learning. Um, I was fortunate and had, I didn't have student debt because I had I used the GI Bill from the military to pay for my education. So I was like, ah, there's my student loans. <laughs> how I justified it in my mind. Um but once we had the problem, then it was like, okay, how do we get out of this problem that we just created for ourselves? And for us, it's just, it's getting organized. So, you know, listing out your debts, understanding exactly what you have. There's great calculators out there. You can input all your debts and organize it. And it'll give you a strategy like, you know, debt stacking or creating an avalanche strategy where you're paying the lowest, the highest interest offers, or you're doing what's the snowball method where you're paying the lowest balance off first. And so just getting a getting it written down on paper and just seeing how you can just small shifts. Like it's amazing just by getting that organization down, how much faster you can pay off your debt 
it's scary. If you ever open up a credit card statement or, you know, it'll show you if you make minimum payments, how fast you'll pay it off. And it's like, never, not in your lifetime will you pay it off a minimum payment. So that's the first step is just one facing what you have, but organizing it in some sort of calculator to actually see, okay, because once you do that, I know when we first did that, it's like, oh, this is manageable. I mean, it's not fun. We don't like having it. But now we the, the stress went down a lot um, once we got that organization down and had an actual game plan. Yeah. And it and we didn't it didn't force us to like eat beans and rice either. Um because we choose we, we were willing to pay it off a little bit slower to not completely go down down into like, you know, fleet poor house. Um, but we knew we had we had a clear vision of what it would take to get it there. Mm-hmm. And then we were fortunate and ultimately allowed us to to pay it off. Um was we were we had a couple assets that we sold and that cradle we had some equity from that that we just dumped on dumped it on the debt to pay it off faster that way too but uh, but that was why but why did we do that because we focused on cash flow we focused on cash flow and figuring out solving our cash flow problem more so than we focused on just trying to like stack as much money on paying on the debt off as fast as possible so we went into a little bit more debt to in this case real estate we got to real estate create leverage and then when we ended up selling our assets we had made enough equity that we were limiting all of our debt in one fell swoop. We still had the debt before we did the real estate. So we could have just done the whole, we'll just go beans and rice and, you know, cut credit cards and, you know, live in the poor house until it's all paid off. So it's kind of a different dynamic. And that's where, you know, our, my mindset is if you can find a way to create more income, even if you have to sacrifice, maybe you have to go to a little bit more debt to do it, take a small step back to take, you know, one step back to make, you know, 10 steps forward. I'm a, I'm a, I like that, but it's all about the mindset and, and your intentions behind your actions. Yeah. Your, your end goal of where you're trying to reach, but doesn't it hurt that step back? Like every single time bit. you do it, that little, like it just hurts. It hurts the ego probably more than anything. It just hurts a little bit when you're like, you don't yeah. want to do that. Cause like a lot yeah. of people I've talked to, like you have that, you're just kind of, you're at a set point in life where you think you're you're doing good but you don't want to take that step back to kind of jump mm-hmm. that two step forward and it's like an ego hit and i think that happens for couples too and then that can cause some dynamics of where you get into that can of worms of the argument start over why we're going backwards and we are eating just beans and rice. If you're listening to this, you guys know that we don't run ads on this show anymore. And what we do is provide this whole complete show for free for you guys. We do have a couple things though that we would like to ask of you. And that would be, if you get a chance to subscribe to our premium content episodes, those are little small topics that we cover individually. That is $3 a month. And as well, we have our book out, Shameless Plug, Business Life of Husband and Wife. You guys can jump on Amazon and find that. And we'd be very grateful for reviews left for that book. Thanks, guys. I was just going to say, I was listening to Andy Priscilla podcast that he did this morning talking about one reason for his success is he's never been afraid of looking dumb and starting over and starting at zero, like eating some crow or whatever. And he's like, I don't give a crap what people think of me. Like, this is where I need to be. And I'm going to do my best and try and start over and whatever. So I think, you know, being real about the situation too, is like, yeah, I can do this. I can start over and it's okay. (laughs) It's okay to fail. So what are some of the things that people can pull out of like their, their, 
I guess their credit card statements or their, their debt situation that they can kind of get rid of right off the hop. Cause there's a lot of guys out there, like a lot of theories like Kevin O'Leary's got the Starbucks thing where he just goes, he gets super upset about, you know, drinking, <laughs> drinking Starbucks every day um, and how much he can save just not having a cup of coffee and making it at home. So what are some of the things that people can do to kind of break well, some I of those habits or subscriptions they've got? Yeah. The biggest one that, the biggest one that caught us, caught us by surprise was subscriptions. Yeah. I think nowadays there's so many little apps, you know, I can, you know, different TV streaming apps and every channel has their own streaming app. And you know, what, what gets, what has gotten us in the past, you sign up for a free trial and you forget about it, but it's only five bucks a month. So you don't even hardly notice it on your credit card statement, but you get like 10 of those going and all of a sudden it, it adds up. And so that was the biggest eye opener for us when we, when we really did a deep dive on like, hey, where's the money really flowing? subscriptions was a huge one for us um for him, especially all from, the stuff he had auto yeah, <laughs> and some of them were left over from my previous business because i when i was doing digital marketing i had a lot of subscription things to do that and i someone didn't get canceled quick enough um i mean other things i think it's an assessment i'm not a i'm not the type of person and i don't believe in you should cut everything out down to the bare bones minimum i think you got to have small wins you got to be able to reward yourself periodically i think there's a psychology to that so if you like starbucks you just do it less like it's all about just saying hey where can i trim not necessarily cut uh, but doing that assessment you can realize i think a lot of times just people don't even know where their money's going mm -hmm. and so when you sit down and you actually do that assessment it's, it can be painful um but there's apps out there nowadays that you can link all your accounts to especially if you use credit cards to, to 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 spend money and you have a way to you can there's apps you can upload all that stuff to and it'll give you a, a clear statement here's all the categories you're spending money into um so it doesn't have to be as painful as like actually like printing off the statements and going line by line um i wouldn't want to do that but i think it's just figuring out what can you cut and what can you what do you need to trim and not feel like you have to cut everything it doesn't have to be that hard um, I guess it, it, you know, and then it just comes down to how motivated you are. One thing I've learned, and this one, one thing I like about Dave Ramsey's strategy as far as debt pay down is when you do the snowball, you get these small wins. And as you get small wins, you get momentum. When you go momentum, you start looking for other ways to cut to, to build, to keep the momentum going to pay, to get faster to the goal. So I think it's something you start small, start getting some momentum. And then you start, you know, you start thinking about, oh, I could do this. I could do that. I could build prep. I could do some different things and not feel like you just have to make all the big changes at one time. Mm -hmm. And looking for cash flow sources too, yeah, like looking sources. for side gigs, you know, really whatever you can pet sitting. There's real, I mean, today there's so many from Instacart to DoorDash to Rover to everything in between yeah. um, ways to generate little extra income here and there. And so, yeah, the biggest, most powerful step for us was getting it on paper, well, spreadsheet, but getting it organized, mm -hmm. understanding what are the interest rates. We actually use mostly the cash flow method, I think, to pay yeah. down some of ours. Basically, like what debt is sucking the most cash flow a month and getting rid of that sucker first so that you're freeing up more cash flow. And so there's a few different strategies, but even going through that exercise, it felt icky at first. It felt like somebody flipped on the light and you know, in the room of our house and there's like dust bunnies over here and cockroaches running around is like, Oh, you know, we're, we're spending that much on that. Like what, you know, and, and simple things and just trying to make, be more, you know, efficient. Like instead of buying a coffee out, maybe you get like, now I'm, I make my own spicy mocha powder at home that I like better than any other spicy mocha I can get out there. I like spicy mochas. 
So that's way cheaper, you know, more efficient. And I can have it every day versus once in a while, if I were to go get it like a Starbucks or something. So being creative too, it almost becomes a little bit of a game. Like how can I save here? How can I, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, and also too, I think once you learn business and you learn entrepreneurship, you learn how to sell, you learn how to create like that, that changed our lives completely. When I, I remember the first time I really started doing some sales and it was, I was doing affiliate marketing and I was like, I created that sale. So it means I can create it again. And if I have the ability to create, I, I can scale. So once that happened, it made the debt side like that much, that a little bit easier to, to deal with. Cause I wasn't, we just weren't working on a fixed income. If we just had a fix, I, I don't know how people do it on a fixed income because you have no room, you have nothing to grow it on. But once you can start learning and how to like, okay, I'm, I take responsibility. I can go out and I can create income. I can go out and create more. And not just by getting another job, because that doesn't really solve the problem necessarily. I mean, it creates continuously create more income, but then you have a problem of time. So it's just once you learn how to the creative side, you can you can tap into your creative side and figure out how to go out and just create income sources. It can be even small. It doesn't take. I mean, even a couple hundred bucks a month could be can make all the difference. Oh, yeah, in just creating enough of a of you know a little bit of breathing room. Mm-hmm. Do you guys break that down for your clients, or do you, do you try and get them to do it? for themselves. Cause I, when you see the numbers, like math just comes easy to me. It always has. So like when I see interest rates and I see things, I just start doing it in my head and I can be like instantly, I know what 200 bucks a month, $2,400 a year. Okay. Yeah. That I can attack. I can put that exact amount on this. Like it just numbers are but people where well, they, they need to see it. They need to mm-hmm. see the visual, like the, the subtraction off that line and how that works. And then the compounding effect. Do you guys do that with them when you break down oh. Yeah, it depends on the client. Um, I don't. We don't get too deep, too deep personally, like line by line with them. We give them, a, you know, it's like a lot of it's how motivated are you? We'll give you the training, the resources, the knowledge. We'll help with some of the facilitating of getting you on track. But one of the most powerful things that we teach people is called the is the rule of seventy two, which is a calculation to calculate how fast money doubles. But it works in both ways. So once you learn that concept, you can apply it to investing money. But you can also apply it to your debt, and you know if you're making only twelve percent on your investments, but you're paying twenty four percent interest on your credit on your debt, you know you start applying that in those different scenarios, um, applying it to inflation, for example. You know once you understand, like, oh, every twenty five years I have to double my income just to keep up with government reported inflation, which does include food and gas. Um, so like, there's there's some of those elements. We but we don't really get into like. I'm not a financial planner. I'm a financial educator more so. So I don't get in. I don't like sit down and do like a full financial plan where we go deep into your budget and all those sorts of things. But we teach the concepts. We give them tools and resources. And then, you know, they can come back with what they put together, you know, to get some insight. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of more the role that we play with with our clients. Mm-hmm. Which is good because those the tools is what people need, right? And then you guys have the spreadsheet. And like I said, people just need the tool. They need to be able to see what the compound is, what the effect of the after effects are. And I think that's, that's the big thing for most of us is most of us are visual. Um, mm-hmm. I do it in my own head. I don't really draw it out, which Robin <laughs> gives me shit about all the time. <laughs> She's like, you need to at least write it down for me. So I know where you're thinking. Well, so, that's the only way that I know that you're serious is if you've actually put thought into it and you write it down. So like with any type of like, um, like life plan or any type of like, business plan, I always make him like come to me with a presentation because then I know he's actually put thought into it. (laughs) 
please. Like it. Yeah. So you guys have an event coming up. Are you guys? I had one yesterday. Is it on the 29th? Oh yeah, today's the thirtieth. Sorry, you guys had. To, are you guys having more events coming up? Um, yeah. Are they going to yes. be online, uh, or are they just going to be strictly in San Diego? Um, we'll probably do some online as well. So we're part of a. We have a platform called the How Money Works Company, and they have a ton of great resources that we leverage for teaching financial education and financial literacy. And so we'll do some of those classes um, virtually as well. The last one we did last night was just in person in our office here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. But our objective is to be able to provide those purely educational classes about once a month is our objective moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll do one on um, how money works for women, because that's a very big talking point right now. By the year 2030, women will control over two thirds of all financial assets in the United States, largely because the baby boomer generation, women are primarily the caretakers for that generation. And so as that generation, you know, passes on and whatnot, they're going to be in control of those assets. And so that's a big talking point. Sharon Lecter actually co-wrote a book that our platform just put out, How Many Works for Women. Um, and women, by and large, are the less educated about money, too. And so we need, you know, education more. So we'll definitely be doing one of those probably yeah. next month or in March. Yeah. Awesome. And then I have one other thing before we kind of wrap up the, the episode and Robin asks her, her favorite question on these episodes. Um, Robin and I have what we call an OPS fund. You guys talked about building up kind of just like a fund for, oh, shit happens kind of fund. We, we call it OPS fund. We have the 10% rule we use. So that's just one of ours is 10% of every cent we make, business, personal, whatever comes in, it goes into a separate fund. And it's just there just in case something goes south, like say COVID. We didn't have to take any funding for anything for any of our businesses because that was already there. Paid the staff, kept everybody going we able to weather that storm. So what do you guys, what did you guys do and what kind of things do you guys kind of teach people and different tools they can use once they get out of debt or mm-hmm. if they're still halfway through and they still want to start putting that away to kind of get to that point? Absolutely. So um, we call it emergency fund. Oops, fun. I like that too. Um, but yeah, basically it's that emergency fund. I think for most people, three to six months is is good. Uh, but if you're an entrepreneur or have a business, I believe like close to 12 months is better, especially if you have employees and things like that. Um, having a bigger oops fund is important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, three to six months is typically what we encourage people to, to do. And one other thing that I'm a big, because just going back to the psychology of money, I believe that people should be saving and paying off their debt at the same time. And that saving might be only be 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, you know, very minimal. But the, the habit of saving, paying yourself first is so important. Even if you've got tons of debt like having that habit i'm gonna i'm gonna intentionally say i'm a priority i'm gonna put you know 25 bucks a month into this separate account and then i'm gonna go pay my pay to figure it work with that work with the rest to take care of everything else all the other problems or challenges i'm dealing with that's another big piece that i believe is very important because if you just focus on paying off the debt you're not saving money you're not the psychology the, the psych, psychologically you don't you're not seeing anything develop build for yourself mm-hmm. um i'm a big believer in that but yeah, I do believe in emergency fund. It's one of the foundational things that we teach. Kind of our, the tiers that we teach as far as building that foundation. The first one is just proper protection. So it's life insurance. If So when life really happens, mm-hmm. financially, the business is covered, the family's covered. Um, I don't know what they have in Canada, but we have living benefits in the United States where if someone has like a major chronic or critical illness, they can get funding from their insurance while they're living. The next above that is debt management. So if there's debt in the issue, we'll work on limiting the debt. Then it's the emergency fund. And once you have all of those things taken care of, 
then start thinking about long-term savings and investing. Um, so that's kind of a, the building blocks, the basic building blocks that we we believe in to teaching that and building that foundation. Because we have that foundation and things go south or go sideways. You have the emergency fund to cover you. If that unexpected you know, health thing kicks in, you have the insurance that can come in and cover you. And obviously the worst case scenario, someone passes away. Um, you know, see so many cases where families, you know, they're doing great. And then all of a sudden they're wiped out because yeah. they didn't have the right, yeah, all the different pieces in play. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And I think that that's a good one. Insurance is, it's funny because a lot of people take insurance as the last thing they'll do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of business First. get people. It, it, I know it's always one of the, it's an odd thing for, I don't know if we were taught that, but it's always the last thing. Now we have pretty good insurance. Like I have, well, Robin's got me insured for more things than I know what I'm insured for. So <laughs> I like to cover my basis. There you go. It's, I mean, it's but so important. I mean, you know, there's for entrepreneurs, it's even more important. We think I look at it as like Ed Miley talks about being the one in your family. Like every wealthy family started with one. Well, if I'm going to guarantee that wealth comes from me, life insurance is the guarantee. Because if I don't, if something happens to me in my journey of building wealth and being the one in my family, if I'm not there to do it, I can put together a life, you know, insurance, you know, a trust, a will. I can put these tools in place so that at the very least, something is created. I've started something. I planted some seeds to get going. If I'm not, if I don't, you know, get to do what Ed my list on, for example, um, in my lifetime. So that's how I look at insurance for me personally. But at the very basic, it's just, you know, the stats say life will happen at some point. Right. And, um, and having those, and if you don't have it when you need it, if you don't have it before you need it, you can't get it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was very true. Hey guys. Well, this is the get near the end of the show. Robin has her, her favorite time. question. Right. All right. You, <laughs> so, you're actually going to say some things now. Well, we'll talk about that later. Anyways. <laughs> so, now that you guys are a, uh, a handful of years into your entrepreneurship journey together, if you guys could go back and give yourself some advice, what would that be? Mm, in terms of the relationship or business or both? Um, it could be any or all. Well, um, I'll, I'll go ahead yeah. and start. I spent a lot. I wasted a lot of time, I should say, probably in the first five to seven years of expecting him to read my mind. <laughs> and that doesn't work so well. And then by day three of the silent treatment, I'm just like, this is really lame and this is really boring and I feel kind of bad. So I just and now when we have a conflict, we're just like, hey, I need we need to have a difficult conversation. And uh, and it lasts like two and a half to five minutes. And we get it out in the open and then we can move on where, you know, so I really wish that I had just, you know, had that kind of realization earlier and not try to make him suffer. Like that just sounds so mean, but honestly, that's what it was. You know, he's supposed to read my mind. He can't, he should suffer for it. <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't really suffering. I was just like, she'll come over. She'll get over it. She'll, she'll get out of it. She was suffering more than I was. Yeah. Reality, exactly. You know, which, so I was you know, like, well, I mean, it'll work itself out. You know, yeah. I'm going to go for a run. <laughs> which the Bible talks about that. Like, unforgiveness is more toxic uh, to the one that won't forgive yeah. for the one, you know. So anyway, um, but that, that would be a big one for me. And then for me, I think it's just, I wish we understood the money game a little bit better before we got into this. Because if I could go back, you know, for example, the real estate space. What ended up happening, we spent all this money on coaching, went a ton of debt for it, and when and to actually do the deals and actually learn how to do multifamily, we ended up just partnering with somebody that we didn't have to pay any money to. We did deals together, we made money together. So, like 
I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in that world, but just understanding like finding a mentor is way more valuable that you can add value to them and then receive value back to them. It doesn't have to be, oh, I have to drop $50,000, $100,000 to get information. Mm-hmm. Especially in these days, you have so much free and for content on Instagram and YouTube that you can at least get a baseline for. And then just seeking out a mentor you can add value to. Because I find I've discovered, and I wish someone had told me this a long time ago, is most wealthy people that are already successful, they're they're wanting people to come ask them what they did and how they did it and help somebody because that's their legacy. And but so many people are afraid to go ask that question to that wealthy person, that person that was successful. Now, not there's plenty of wealthy people that don't want to do that, but there's I think the majority, there's a lot of people out there that want to help. And most of us are afraid to ask. And so I think it's way better, you know, Ed or uh, Grant Cardo says what contacts are contracts, you know, connections are you know, connections are growth, net worth, network is your net worth. I think the biggest thing is you don't have to necessarily spend tens of thousands of dollars to have it. I'm not against investing in yourself by any means. I don't regret any of those ultimately because it's got us where we were. But I think just having a little bit better understanding and correlation to the decisions we're making um, and understanding how to kind of look and think through, okay, but making this decision, what am I actually getting out of that decision versus just a I have this, I'm, a, I'm on a high right now because someone just sold me from stage. Right. I think I think those are both great pieces of advice. And like, I I don't I don't think the debt that you guys had is like Alex Hermosi. You guys listen to Alex quite a bit. Love him. Yeah. He's got that where he talks about reinvesting in yourself and like how he doesn't consider it debt really at all, even though it is like a debt thing. So I, I think that's kind of the concept. You just, you can always start from not we talked about. You can always start from from zero and. Mm-hmm. You know, you st- but you're starting actually further ahead than when you didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a balance. It's a balance. I think I just wish I had a better clarity of understanding before I was pulling the trigger on some of those things because I didn't know what I was just trusting. And I'm just that type of person. I'm a, I make decisions quickly. And so I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Here, here's my, here's, let's go. We'll figure it out. You know, build the plane as we, as we, as we're, you know, as we're taking off or after we jump off the cliff. But. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, thank you for coming on and yeah, sharing thank you so much. your guys' knowledge. Um, it was Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome show. Yeah, that was fantastic. Can you guys let us know where our listeners can track you down? Absolutely. So um, your cash flow couple at your cash flow couple on Instagram is probably the simplest way to do that. Mm-hmm. Through there, you can get connected to our individual profiles as well. And um, that's probably the easiest way to connect with us. Mm-hmm. Start there. You guys have the, face, the Facebook at- page as well. Uh, yeah, we have a Facebook page, your casual couple on Facebook too. Um, but Instagram, I would say Instagram would be the the best place to start. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys, for coming on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Taking the time. Thank and, you, guys. Yeah. It was great. Great so, to see you guys again. <laughs> you guys too. Uh, so thanks, guys, for coming on. Thank you again for listening. Um, as always, you guys can catch us at the Business Life of Husband Thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe to the show. 